Day 194 on the Bible Rundown. We're here dropping on the mic with David and Rob. You got it. You were with us today. I'm kind of rapping to the beat here because in Psalm chapter 7, it begins with the Shigion, a rhapsody, a, a, a upbeat tone in which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjaminite. We're here, Psalm 7 through 9 and Acts 18, if you're wondering. It's day 194. It's it's going to be on the Bible rundown here. But what do you see from the Shigion of David? Yeah. So we were talking before we came on. And, and uh, James Hamilton's commentary says, you know, this superscription about it was the song that David sang concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. And we were thinking, okay, well, who could that be? Well, Hamilton thinks it goes back to 2 Samuel 16. Mm. So again, Absalom has taken over the kingdom. David is shamefully exiting Jerusalem. And as he goes out, there is a servant of the house of Saul named Shimei, mm. which Saul was a... Benjamin. Benjamite. Yeah. So, yeah. Benjamin. so, you know, from that same house which would mean he's a Benjamite, but he was cursing God, or excuse me, cursing David, that God would curse him for the blood of, of Saul's house. So basically, we have to, this is the other thing with the Psalms, right? They are all meditative literature pointing us back to the narrative of Scripture that we have yeah. in the, the Torah and the Pentateuch. And so in this case, I think verses 3 through 5, David, in response of those allegations from Shimei in 2 Samuel 16, is doing kind of like an introspective of his own heart, right? Like, Lord, if there's blood on my hands, if, there, if this is something I've sinned against you, then, yeah, let the enemy have their way with me. So, Rob, like, this godly humility, when we may be in the wrong... To then say, Lord, if, if I'm really the one that's caused this hardship for these people, like, punish mm. me for it. Mm. That's not a, a typical attribute of a king of any time, right? Or any leader, right? Most of the time, a leader does everything they can to defend their honor, even if they know what they did was wrong. Uh, that's good. That's good. Right? No, that's, that's like, a humble person, right? Yeah. To say, I, I want you to examine <clears throat> me. To look and see if I'm I'm in the wrong here. I I, I look at this the last of, of chapter seven. It's it's an interesting chapter. But if a man does not repent, verse twelve. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword, meaning like get his sword ready for battle. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, you know. So we don't really think of the Lord as like getting ready to fight his sword to come down, to ready his bow, to make his fiery arrow shafts. But, you know, what we're seeing here is attributes of the Lord. And right before that, it says God is a righteous judge and God who feels indignation every day. So mm. 
he will judge the wicked. That that has to be we have to understand that our God is a God who will promote or uplift the righteous and judge the wicked. And because that is his nature. That is who he is. And thus, we want to be in the refuge of the Son, right? Yeah. We don't want to be against God's anointed because his judgment will occur. So we have to understand God's glory and salvation through judgment. The nature of God himself as we see in these psalms and the character of God. I think when you're writing your next uh, psalm, David... What you need to focus on... Big disclaimer. I've never written a song. When he writes his next song... (laughs) When I write my first song. (laughs) When he writes his first song, I can help him write it. When he writes his first song, he needs to uh, write about the characteristics of God himself. Mm -hmm. Because that's what David is doing here. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. And and 3 through 7 is talking about... Really, right, this this deliverance of the Lord, crying out to the Lord when things seem wrong. And then, all of a sudden, Psalm 8, how majestic is your name? It's just kind of wedged in there, right? Kind of so goes what, up and down, up and so down. So what's right the here. transition, right? Up and down, up and down. Uh, so I think the transition is natural when we look at where it's going, right? Sinful man humbled when he looks at what you were just reminding us, the nature and character of God, it, it creates in us a humility. But then we also see that God has created us with purpose, right? To worship him and to serve him mm-hmm. through a dominion that he's given us charge over. So Psalm 8, uh, verse 4, right? David, when he's looking at the creation, asks this question, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Mm. The, the term for man, Rob, is Enosh. The son of man is Ben Adam. Adam. And who was Enosh? The son of Adam. The son of Adam. So I think, you know... He's it's, playing on words here. It is, and... So a more literal translation, right, would be, what is Enosh that you're mindful of him and the son of Adam that you care for him? Well, why did God create Adam? To have dominion over the creation that he had done. And so then I think what we start to see in verse, in chapter 9, but these later verses, we go back to chapter 8, verse 6. You've given man dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet. Yeah. Well, then it goes back to Psalm 2, right? Which is God has an anointed one, a king, who has dominion that is given to him by God. So, David fleeing on his heels, life seems upside down. He sees creation around him. He's reminded that he is to reflect ownership right or stewardship of what god has given him dominion for and he does that by worshiping god and then we get into chapter nine where he recounts the deeds of the lord that he's done for him and the psalms from then on really kind of become focused on worship 
of God for just what you're telling us, his character, right? Mm. So it's an, an interesting pivot that Psalm 8 is kind of fit in between these two as a transition point. Yeah, and and again, if you're looking for how do I know who God is, this is a great book to start because you're, you're learning, right? Um, you... You, you know, you, you're learning who the great God is by the characteristics that are sung here. Um, you know, I, I mean, it, it, is, it is the Lord enthroned forever. He established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness in 6, 7, and 8. The Lord is the stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Mm-hmm. So who is the Lord, right? He's the one that judges the world. He's, he is the stronghold for the oppressed. He is a stronghold in times of trouble. Um, he does not forsake those who seek him. Mm-hmm. This is These are... These are attributes that we have to understand, David. If we're seeking the Lord, the Lord will help us to find Him. If if we're if we're, you know, we we want to know this Judge who judges in right rightly, and is a stronghold for oppressed peoples. He does not forget the f- cry of the afflicted. So I mean, again. Um, the truths about who God is is so evident here in, in these in these verses that we we must read with the understanding that we are seeing this beautiful God and worshiping Him and responding in worship and rest. I mean, I, I think again we go over and over again through the Psalms. The response to the songs in the Psalms is rest. Mm-hmm. resting, taking refuge in the sun. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Psalms are good, and today we get uh, Acts 18, and we were jokingly saying the place where Paul spends the most time is the church with the most issues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. First Corinthians so. is in a great book because of all the wicked things that are happening in the church in Corinth, and yet Paul has spent... Like a year and a half there. Yeah. So it's incredible, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's an interesting connection here, right? He meets Priscilla and Aquila, uh, a couple from Italy. And uh, there's this new preacher on hand, Rob, a Jew named Apollos. Yeah. From Alexandria. He's a big time preacher. He's a big time guy. People are liking what he has to say. And it says he's competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. How would you describe fervent <coughs> in the spirit? What's what's what does that look like? Mm. Is that you? I would. Is say, that a yeller? I would say he's he's uh, he's he's passionate about yeah, yeah. what he's doing. He's he not. It. He's not. Uh, he's not. Oh, is this okay? I think you should be. The... No, he's very passionate about the word. And he's passionate about what he's preaching. Passionate about the gospel, and I think that that he is. But he's got a problem, David. What's that problem? Yeah, it says uh, 
He taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. So Priscilla and Aquila, they, they hear him speaking in the synagogue, and they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Okay, this is not the first time that we've had reference in Acts to the baptism of John yeah. and people hearing of Christ but not having the right kind of baptism. Maybe that's the way we say it. So what yeah. are we to make of why is the baptism of John this such a, a big question. deal if they know the teaching of Jesus? So here's here's why. Because baptism, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.18... He tells us that baptism is our proclamation of our faith. So baptism is how we proclaim that we are in Christ. We are in Christ. And if we don't understand that the baptism that we are now getting baptized into is not in Christ, it's, it's a baptism of repentance, which is what John's baptism was based upon, Right. Then we have a problem with our theology. Yeah. So, First uh, Peter three, uh, it, we go down to verse twenty-one. Baptism, which corresponds to this, and so the this is what you were talking about, right? That it Christ was, suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Yeah, and it's interesting, right? He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Right. When God's patience waited in what? The days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through right. the water. So baptism corresponds to Noah. God's salvation. Through judgment. Through judgment, yes. Which corresponds to Christ, in that Christ now has the authority to judge for sin and the power over death. Right, and so, he also has the... the, the the correspondence to be able to save you from God's wrath right. and judgment. So then now, baptism saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for what? A good conscience. So John's baptism was an appeal for a dirty life being made clean, right? right? Repent, right. the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But, but he's specifically saying it's not removal of dirt from the body meaning it's not the physical act of baptism the water going under the water has no power it's the pledge of a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ mm-hmm. so you are putting your faith in Christ and you're showing that you put your faith in Christ through the proclamation of your faith which is baptism so Baptism, you know how we, we do now? We, we kind of like go up front and we say, you know, we pray a prayer and we that's kind of our, our proclamation of our faith. We say, I'm saved now because I asked Christ to come into my life. I've, I've, I've been saved. Well, I think baptism is this deciding factor that you decide that God has saved you and you are now in Christ and you're proclaiming that to the church and to those around you. And so we've kind of separated this this uh, sinner's prayer with, we've kind of inserted the sinner's prayer into what baptism was actually meant to do, which was to be this proclamation of faith. So when someone 
came to the conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, and that they were a sinner in need of a Savior, and they humbled themselves to say, I'm identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I want to be baptized. That baptism was their proclamation that they are now in Christ. Which, you know, you brought up the sinner's prayer, or calling it that, which would be the appeal to God for a good conscience, good conscience right? Go. So... So it's and, not not to say it's it's horrible or it's wrong to do the sinner's right. prayer, but baptism is actually that which uh, that which we're proclaiming through some, something like the sinner's prayer. Yeah, yeah. So John's baptism to be associated with repentance from sin, right? Right. The appeal to, to cleanliness, the baptism of Jesus through the apostles and the disciples and the early church members baptizing one another into the Christ. Christ, the resurrected Christ, right? Yes, amen. So, so Romans 6, 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that newness of life is walking now in obedience to what Christ has commanded through a good conscience made clean by the Spirit's work in us. So he was probably preaching the gospel and then coming to the end and say, being baptized, repent of your sin." And he wasn't saying, come into the blood covering of Jesus. And then we bridge it back to where we were a couple days ago. Chapter 17, the issue in Athens was the resurrection. Yeah. So let's go full circle cultural, right? We're in uh, the Bible Belt of America. It can be easy to preach a type of repentance of sin. But Rob, do you think if we preached a resurrection the appeal would be maybe a little more difficult for some people to buy into. But I think that that's what we're saying, right? Is we're not just asking people to just clean up their life and think that that's what God's looking for. No, It's, no, you're appealing to God that through the power that raised Christ from the dead, he will give you a new life so that you can live transformed now. But the hope is not that you're just going to have your life together now. It's when you die you will be raised with Christ in the resurrection. Amen. That's he, what we preach. And that's, that's why he resurrected the dead. And that's why himself was resurrected, because he's showing us that one day we will be resurrected. He was the first fruits of the resurrection. We will be resurrected to new bodies that do not have diseases and, and a new earth that has no demonic forces upon it. And we will not have any pain or suffering, no more tears, and that... That is the gospel, right? The good news of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is coming. That the kingdom of God is coming to earth from heaven. Yeah. He's transforming it all. Amen. Will you believe it? Amen. Good word. Power rundown.